Welcome to the Mining and Markets Podcast, hosted by Synergy Capital, your source for finding opportunity in the junior mining and resources space, one voice at a time. Welcome back to another episode, the 12th episode to be exact, of the Mining and Markets Podcast by Synergy Capital. Today we are speaking with Miles Rideout, the VP of Exploration at Argentina Lithium and Energy, which trades on the venture exchange under the symbol LIT and on the OTC under symbol PNXLF. Miles, how are you today? I'm very well. Thank you very much for the invitation. Let's jump right into it. Can we start off with a brief introduction of Argentina Lithium and Energy for the people who may not know about the company? Certainly. So we are a junior uh, Canadian exploration company based in Vancouver, and our focus of operations is in the, the northwestern high plain of Argentina. All of our projects are in the provinces of Salta and Catamarca in northwest Argentina. And the next thing is uh, we are part of the Grosso Group. So uh, the Grosso Group is a, is a group of three mining exploration companies managed by the management entity, that's the Grosso Group. And the three companies are traded independently and the group covers copper and precious metals projects with gold and arrow resources, a uranium with uh, blue sky uranium and uh, the lithium space with uh, Argentina Lithium and Energy, which is us. Okay, so this group is just mostly focused on Argentina-based companies? Yes, so the the Grosso Group on precious metals, they also work in other nearby jurisdictions like uh, Chile and Paraguay and potentially other areas. But as far as lithium goes, as of today, it's only Argentine projects. I see. Okay, good to know. Look, you know, a lot of work is being done right now at your Rincon West brine project. I kind of want to talk a little bit about that. The company recently announced some results last month from the ninth hole with some pretty great intervals that I want to touch upon. Can you walk us through the significance of this drill program in general and, you know, how these last set of results compare to maybe other lithium brine explorers in the area? Certainly. There's actually uh, three resources already declared on the Rincon Solar. So the, the largest was a resource defined by Rincon Mining based on work over the last 15 years. And they've got a, a very large mid-grade resource. And I, I forget the size offhand. Uh, I, I didn't look at that before this meeting. That project was purchased by Rio Tinto Mining last Last year for eight hundred and twenty-five million dollars, and that raised uh, you know the profile of the Rincon Solar. Prior to the purchase of Rincon Mining by Rio Tinto, we'd acquired our initial property block on the west side of the basin. So we are adjacent to the Rincon Mining concessions, and we're in kind of a it's kind of like a sandy, gravelly beach setting on the west side of, of the basin. Uh, there was historic geophysics on this property, which demonstrated that there were concentrated brines at depth between 50 and 100 meters below the surface of this sort of sandy beach area. So we signed an option agreement to take control of that property. And that's where we've been drilling. That that property is, I think it was uh, 2,600, uh, something like that, uh, hectares that we acquired initially. And then uh, from that starting point, we acquired a block to our east, which sort of extends over the salt flat of the Salar. And that's our second project area where we haven't begun drilling 
yet, but I expect drilling to be running uh, by the second half of July of this year. And we also added on a northern block just to the north of the Rincon Mining Rio Tinto block. It's about 15 kilometers north of where the current drilling has been completed. So those are our current uh, property positions. I anticipate that we'll be adding more properties in the Rincon Basin. And so our work thus far on this initial property block, based on the original geophysics, we said it looks very good for brines at depth. We completed some additional deep-seeking uh, geophysics uh, about a year, 14 months ago, something like that. And then we completed a nine-hole exploration program, which wrapped up about two months ago. And that's the results that you're referring to. So all of the drilling that we've conducted intersected uh, concentrated lithium brines. The brines in, in general are the same or equivalent grades to what Rio Tinto Mining has on their resource. And that's what we anticipated going in. We anticipated that we would have the same brines from the, the salt pack Salar extending under our initial property. So our drill program has validated that. We're working on a resource estimate. At this point, I think we're likely to do a little more work uh, prior to releasing the resource. We're working with the government of uh, Salta, who have indicated that they'll uh, extend our drilling permit to include two rotary wells with pump tests. And so if we can get that through, I would like that work included in this resource if it's doable. And so you're likely to see us uh, announcing some additional drilling on Rincon West as we work through the, the later stages of this resource estimate. And, well, we've got an exploration program on Rincon, which is going to extend over the next two years. The, the next five months and five drill holes will be on the a newer property extending out over the salt flat. It's contiguous with our original property. And then we'll be moving that drill rig up to the north. And I would expect, expect uh, we will complete between six and eight drill holes on the northern property. It's called the Paso the Seco concession, but it's part of our Rincon West project. If we drill eight holes there in 2024, that should take about eight months of drilling with a single rig. Great. And so how much more drilling will there need to be to get a resource? I know that you mentioned that you guys are working on it. You know, when do you anticipate getting that resource done? So we were hoping to have the initial resource completed in the summertime, the North American summertime of this year. And we still might do that. And, and so that's that would be a resource based on nine drill holes that have been completed. But if we can improve the quality of, of the resource estimate by including pump tests, I think that's a worthy goal. And since the province of Salta has indicated that they, they would consider that extension on our drill permit, uh, we're investigating that. And if that goes ahead, well, we'll include a little bit more drilling with pump tests for that resource. That suggests to me that the resource would likely be coming out uh, in the latter part of this year, say Q4 of this year. Got it. Okay, I do want to switch focus a little bit and talk a little bit about the mining jurisdictions in Argentina. And perhaps you can compare them to a country like Chile, because, you know, of course, both countries share a border. And recently, I think it was in April, the Chilean government made an announcement that raised a little bit of concern about the possible nationalization of the lithium industry. You know, after speaking with some, 
you know, lithium juniors in Chile, they believe that the media may have exaggerated this a little bit and there hasn't been any definitive plans for actual nationalization at this point. Nevertheless, it is worth considering whether, you know, Argentina could possibly pursue something similar. Maybe you could touch on the situation in Chile as well as, you know, give your thoughts on if this is a concern to, to Argentina lithium. I would love to address this. I lived in Chile for eight years and I'm very familiar with the country. And since then, I've lived in Argentina for 25 years. I, I went native down here, as it were. So um, uh, I'm very familiar with the situation in Chile. And it's not just Chile. If we're looking at the, the jurisdictions with potential for lithium brines, several of them have indicated that the national governments want to participate in the development of the lithium assets. So the countries that I'm, I'm referring to then are Mexico, uh, Bolivia, and Chile. So it was a conservative government in Chile back around 2011 or 2012 that declared that the lithium resources of Chile would be deemed strategic, of strategic interest to the government. And so by doing that, they're saying the Chilean government will be participating in the development of any new lithium resources. And actually, the announcement that Chile made in the first quarter of this year, around April, I think, I think it actually streamlined the process a bit. Prior to that, in an announcement made last year, the sort of left-leaning current government in Chile had stated that they were going to issue licenses for production. And they were talking about, I think, six or seven new production licenses that would likely be bid on and would be expected. I imagine expensive. And that seemed like an awkward solution or an awkward way to go because you would have an end product purchaser who might be in North America, Europe, or Asia. You would have the project owner in Chile and you would have sort of a middleman entity on the production side with a production license and a, like a maximum quota for production. That, that's an awkward configuration to take a project ahead. So the announcement that the government made in, in Chile uh, in April replaced that. What it looks like, and I haven't seen the, a refined text of how this is actually going to work, but what it looked like to me is now uh, the actual ground holders, the resource owners, will be making direct deals with the government where the government basically forms part of the production partnership. And I, I don't think that's a spectacular uh, scenario, but I think it's better than what they had before. And so I, I wouldn't call this sort of a nationalization, but I, I think that you'll see the, the lithium projects, if, if they stick to this plan, lithium projects in Chile will be formed by a consortium of uh, an exploration or a lithium mining company, plus the Chilean government, and they'll be working together on production, everything, and then uh, selling their lithium carbonate or lithium hydroxide production abroad. The contrast with Argentina, with, with all the other countries that I've mentioned, Argentina is not interested in developing their lithium assets in this way. The three northern provinces with the, the brine lithium assets are Jujuy, Salta, and Catamarca. All three of these provinces have stated very clearly they, they want to manage lithium production here the same way any other mineral resource is managed. So it's under the, the, the standard mining regimen. What that looks like then is that we're working under the same um, mining permitting system that's applied for the, the copper and gold mines in the district. Once we go into production, we'll be paying a net smelter royalty on production to the province. I think that's a very good uh, configuration. I particularly like to see you know, the benefits of mining 
uh, utilized by the, the local governments, the provincial governments, for the benefit of the district where the mining is, is being conducted, rather than being taken by uh, the national entity, say. So what this means from the investor's standpoint is, if you're looking at the quality of a project in, in Chile, and, and Chile has some you know, excellent brine resources, they're, they're stunning brine resources, but you look at the, the valuations of those projects, and they all look undervalued. And it's, I, I think, because of the uncertainty of, of how this will eventually be, how the regulations in Chile will be applied, the additional costs that uh, those projects might incur, or, or lack of uh, profits or proceeds that those projects might incur, because they're, they're bringing the uh, Chilean government in as a, a partner on the projects. And in contrast, when you see a, a good project in Argentina, they have very high valuations because you can evaluate the Argentine projects the same way any other mining project is evaluated. And again, for the benefit of investors, you know, these, these lithium brine projects, once you've got the go ahead uh, and you're going into production, the rate of return on these projects is stunning. You're looking at production costs, which might be, say, $5,000 per ton of lithium carbonate. And, uh, you know, market prices, which in recent memory have ranged between about $25,000 a ton up to $50,000 a ton. You know, the, these, these projects, which are not terribly capital intensive, are extremely uh, profitable. And so you look at these companies uh, set up and running in Argentina and, uh, a number of them have very high valuations because it's a very good business model. Right. And those prices that you gave, that kind of leads me to my next question. You know, probably about 15 years ago, give or take, the lithium industry was pretty much non-existent. And today, the prices rallied tremendously. I guess my question to you is, you know, where do you see the price headed? And do you, do you think that we'll continue to see explosive growth like we saw in the last decade? I mean, at what point does this price kind of stabilize and, you know, not have that explosive growth like we've seen? I'll, I'll just fill in a bit of, of background so that listeners understand exactly what's happened over the period you've cited. So if we go back 10 years time to uh, 2013 or so, the entire world's production of lithium had the equivalent value of the production from one large, sort of world-class copper mine. And, and it was, you know, on that order. So in the, the successive 10 years, from 2013 to 2023, the worldwide production of lithium has increased about four times over, but the market value of lithium carbonate has increased about uh, 10 times. And so what that means from the standpoint of lithium industry, from 2013, the lithium industry looked like one world-class copper mine. And today it looks like 40 world-class copper mines in terms of market value. Now, a world-class copper mine is worth a lot of money. Okay. So um, this growth spurt that we've seen has been perhaps unprecedented. It's a tremendous uh, success. People who were investing in the lithium uh, industry 10 years ago, you know, they've made good money on this bet. Now, the industry, I think, will continue to grow and strongly. It's difficult to say if the market for lithium carbonate, if those values will continue to, to rise because, you know, there are projects coming online every year, basically. But I, I think that at the very least, we can expect a strong market value for lithium going forward. Why do I say that? Well, you look at uh, the European uh, market and the North American market for vehicles, both markets are regulating that vehicle sales will be 
you know, transitioning from fossil fuels to electric vehicles strongly, roughly between about 2030 and 2035. You know, we're in touch with automotive manufacturers. All the automotive manufacturers are looking at, at uh, revising their product lines to go to primarily electric vehicles over the next, uh, well, seven to 10 years. I, I guess the, the only uh, exception would be Toyota and Toyota's kind of a looking at going into alternative energy fuels in a, in a different way. But accepting Toyota, everybody else is looking at lithium production or, or lithium-based uh, batteries. The next thing is the amount of lithium carbonate or lithium hydroxide that these uh, car manufacturers acquire is staggering. Uh, I was looking at the projections for one automotive manufacturer, and it's, it's as though they require, just for this one manufacturer, all of the lithium production from South America. Wow. And uh, that, that's what they're anticipating their requirement is. And you say, well, you know, they're one of perhaps six major automotive manufacturing groups. So you, you just look at this and you say, um, currently, the, the world does not produce nearly enough lithium just for the automotive manufacturing industry. So this is going to be something, um, I, I view it as a moving target. We can't take a snapshot today and say that's what the lithium industry looks like. I, I think that we're still on the rise. And I think that uh, our exploration industry needs to bring many, many more lithium projects online, even to maintain the current you know, price level. If we don't bring more uh, production online, the prices for lithium carbonate are going to escalate uh, potentially a lot. So I anticipate this sector has very strong growth and just based on automotive uh, manufacturing. If we then look at other uh, potential markets for lithium, which might be, say, on-grid uh, battery storage for municipalities, something like that, well, that's endless. Uh, the amount of capacity need for that is vast, not even counting that potential market. One of the questions that I've, I've recently received is, is there a risk to lithium, like, you know, perhaps a synthetic alternative to lithium? Do you, do you ever see something like that ever happening? Sure. Well, I mean, I, I, I won't say no. I think that if you, if you look at technological development, what the human race does over the last century or so, you know, we're pretty good at working out technological problems. It doesn't happen overnight. But if you're looking at a problem like uh, over 10 or 20 years, you can probably work out the technological bugs. I don't think that there's a, a, a popular or a well-developed existing technology today that can compete with lithium. Now, there are other battery technologies, but they don't have the energy density that lithium batteries have. And also, lithium batteries are pretty well-developed. So what I think that means is maybe in 2040, we'll be looking at, oh, there's a a viable alternative technology coming online that we can use so it doesn't have to be lithium. But I, I think that you're going to be looking at a 10, 15, 20-year development of these technologies to get them to a level where they can compete with lithium. The next thing is, I don't think there's a necessarily an overriding requirement to replace lithium. Lithium is a, an excellent anion for battery development. The lithium itself, even at today's prices, you know, it doesn't represent that large a part of the battery cost. So, you know, there's a, between the manufacturing cost and, and other materials used in batteries, you know, perhaps the lithium value of the battery is uh, between five and 10% of the battery value. And it's not like we're talking, oh, half my battery value is, is tied up in the lithium. That's not the case. Is there an overriding requirement to replace lithium? And I don't think so. 
Interesting. I've, I've never heard of that before. I mean, I've never really touched on that before, but that's a, a super interesting take. I mean, what's the difference in your opinion between lithium brine and hard rock? Because obviously in South America, it's all brine from my understanding. Is there a more desirable type when it comes to mining and extracting for EVs? Uh, maybe it'd be good to hear some pros and cons of each. Sure. Now, I, I haven't worked on a hard rock project. This the, the primary hard rock projects would be in, in pegmatites, a kind of intrusive rock. And the mineral you extract is called spodumene. And so this is the production that we see coming out of, primarily coming out of Australia. But there are, are spodumene projects in Canada and in other jurisdictions as well. I think you can make a, a good project on, well, the Australians demonstrate it every day. Having a, a good pegmatite spodumene mine, you, you've got a good project with that. But it looks a bit different. You need a quite high-grade spodumene. You need a, a couple of percent of spodumene on your deposit to make your mine workable. Then likely the production that you're selling is a concentrate of spodumene, uh, and you'll sell that to Asia. And that's that's the the primary market for, I believe, for lithium today is you know, spodumene production. Where the brines are different is a brine deposit looks like a salt flat. It's a closed salt lake. And uh, the way we produce brine, we drill wells in the salt flat and we pump uh, brine to surface where it is concentrated by either evaporation or uh, more advanced means like an ion exchange uh, process. And then we process it. And so our brine projects, you've just got a salt flat and now there's a uh, you know, a grid of wells on the salt flat producing, you know, pumping the brines to surface. So it's very low impact on the environmental side. And if you're using a direct lithium extraction technology, so this type of ion exchange process, once you've removed the lithium from the brine, you pump the brine back into the salt flat in a different location. So you look at this, I look at this, and I go, you know, these brine deposits have a very low impact. It's not like we're making massive holes in the ground or using explosives or you know, creating dust plumes, you know, that's not what they look like. For the period of production, we have these wells located on the salt flat. You might have evaporation ponds on the salt flat if you're using an evaporation process. But once the production is concluded in 30 or 40 years time, you know, you remove your wells and you, you clean up your surface and you're looking at uh, a salt flat that looks about the same as it did before you started. Right. But, you know, besides environmental, like, is there is there a difference in the end product in terms of quality? Oh, yeah. Uh, so, yeah. So, I don't know that if every hard rock project sells a spodumene concentrate for the Australian miners, that's likely the, their shortest avenue to production is basically concentrate the spodumene into a product. And it might be, say, 6% concentrated spodumene at that point, and then they sell it to, uh, for instance, the Asian markets. If you have a brine project, that's not what we're going to be doing on brine projects. For a brine project, we would be extracting the lithium and then making a finished product, which is likely to be either a lithium carbonate or a lithium hydroxide. It will be a fairly high purity, like a 99% purity, uh, something on that order. And then we'd be selling that product to the, the manufacturing markets. And that it's a dry product that we sell. It's not metallic lithium or anything like that. It's not flammable. You know, you, you transport it by rail cars or in containers and it goes to your manufacturing markets. So what we'd be looking at for production from Argentina is likely to be lithium carbonate. And if it's not lithium carbonate, lithium hydroxide. Okay. And Miles, just to wrap up briefly, can you, you know, talk, talk a little bit about, you know, maybe why 
Argentina Lithium uh, differs from all the other kind of juniors out there. And maybe you can touch upon the share structure for some of the investors that are listening, just to, just to wrap up. Right. So um, I think our appeal is uh, over the last two years, we've acquired really key projects. What I think is attractive about our project our projects, because we have two, we have uh, the Rincon West project, and then we have a project which is about three times larger at Antifaya, where we haven't begun drilling, but I would expect drilling to begin there in the second half of this year. Both these projects are adjacent to uh, major producers. So at Rincon, our neighbor is uh, Rio Tinto Mining and their massive project. At Antifaya North, we are adjacent to Albemarle Corporation, the world's second largest lithium producer. On both these projects, we anticipate, well, proving out that we have the same types of brines as the major producer adjacent to us. So on Rincon West, we've already done that with our drilling. At Antifaya North, uh, that's what we would set out to do with our upcoming drill program there, demonstrating that we have uh, at least similar brines to what Albemarle Corporation has. Our market valuation doesn't reflect the quality of these projects or that, you know, this is not, uh, say, Greenfield's exploration when, when we're exploring what we're doing is, you know, demonstrating that the, adja- the resource adjacent to us extends under our projects and we can take these projects through to production. So um, my feeling then is that our company has a, a very good path to proving sizable mid-grade resources on both these projects. And then we can take these projects uh, through to production in a favorable jurisdiction. Our uh, share structure, we have 130 million shares outstanding uh, with financings that we completed last year. And historically, our fully diluted shares look like uh, 213 million, if we include uh, outstanding warrants and options. And our recent market cap is about $27 million. I would expect that as, as we run through our, our resource estimates and, and can produce um, economically viable resources on the projects, I mean, it's easy to see that we could increase our share price uh, you know, 10 times over the next two, two and a half years and potentially better. And that's what we're trying to do. We're trying to uh, make all the best decisions to prove out these resources and reward our investors in a, in a term, say, two to three years. Well, you've definitely sold me on the project. It sounds very exciting, and I'm looking forward to seeing um, how you guys progress. Thank you so much for your time today, Miles. I appreciate it. Uh, thank you very much for the information and the chance to uh, talk about our company. Thank you. Have a good day. Bye-bye. We hope you enjoyed this episode, and remember to follow us on social media, Spotify, and Apple Podcasts. This episode should not be considered investment advice. Always do your own due diligence.